Now, let's open our Bibles. Now, I want to talk to you for a few minutes from a passage uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'd like to read at verse 14. Uh, and we'll look down through the 18th verse. I believe some things that I'll share with you this morning uh, will be very, very helpful to you uh, in establishing uh, your identity in the world uh, as a child of God. And I don't know anything that this world needs any more to see than the identity of men and women who are children of God. I think uh, that the Bible bears us out in the fact that as a Christian, we're showing forth the life of Christ. A Christian is one who is Christ-like. And those Greeks of old said to the disciples, we would see Jesus. I believe one of the great needs then in our world today is that men and women down at the office, folks down at the mill, down at the plant, on the campus, in the community, can look at your life and look at, at me and somehow get a glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ or at least be reminded of him in the life that they see that we are living and in the person that we are. In this passage, you'll remember, you'll find very familiar words to some, maybe not so familiar to others, but these are words that could be considered a, a command. And by the way, there are more commands than just ten. I mean, if you want to look at them in the New Testament, you'll find numerous orders and commands that are given to us by our Lord Jesus or by our God. Look in verse number 14 of 2 Corinthians 6, and the Scripture says it like this, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, that is because of this, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The subject of separation on the part of the child of God is not actually a very popular subject. And yet not only is it unpopular, but I fear it is an unpracticed thing in the life of far too many of God's children in this day and age. In the matter of separation, the Lord is very clear, and that separation and the order for it in our lives deals with three specific areas of an individual's life. First of all, it deals with us in the area of our personal sins. That is, we are to be separate from those things that have become sinful in our life and that keep us from being all that we ought to be for the glory of God. 
A second area that separation in our life has to do with is the area of the world or the world system. And thirdly, separation has to do with an area that has to do with our religious life or what some have termed ecclesiastical separation. The Word of God then has a lot to say and every, on every one of these points and in all of the areas. First of all, the Bible reminds us that we are to be apart and separate from the personal sins of life. The things that you and God alone know about. The things that the Holy Spirit may have dealt with you about in your life that becloud the image of Christ from the world around you. David prayed in the 19th Psalm and the 12th verse and he prayed something to this effect and he said, Deliver thou me from secret faults. The things that are like, uh, well, uh, are like ground wires uh, on the battery. Uh, they're draining you of the spiritual energy and vibrancy of your own life. Now, I would not dare stand here and begin to try to name personal things in your life because I do not know them. But I know as a born-again child of God that the Holy Spirit lives within you and can deal with you and with me about the personal secret things, as David called them, that would be a hindrance to us in our spiritual life. But then uh, there is that area I mentioned that I called the, the world or the world system. By the way, the word world in the Bible is used in three different senses. First of all, it is used in, in the sense of the created world, this planet Earth. Secondly, it is used in the sense of the world of mankind. For God so loved the world. He wasn't talking about the planet Earth, but rather he's talking about the world of mankind. And he said he so loved this world of mankind that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. But there is that, third, that uh, 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 sense of the word world that is also used, uh, and that's what we're going to deal with now in just a moment, and that is the world system. Uh, Paul called it in the second chapter of Corinthians when he reminded us of our past life before we became a child of God, before we became alive uh, spiritually, and he said, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. That is the way of the world, uh, that manner of the world. That attitude of the world, that action of the world, or the world system in the sense of it being apart from the will of God, deserting the will of God, uh, and away and contrary to the very word of God. So the Bible says to the child of God that we are to be separate not only from the personal things of life that are harming us as, the, as far as our testimony, but rather also to be separate from the way of this world. Now oftentimes you hear us preachers talk about worldliness. And yet sometimes I think we've given the wrong, uh, well, the wrong impression as to what worldliness is. 
if a fellow doesn't go to the picture show and play cards and doesn't dance, then he considers himself, and I'm afraid that's largely our responsibility for many of them thinking like that. They consider them that they're not worldly. Certainly those things are of the world system in, in many senses. But yet, let me say, there's more to worldliness than, than um, the matter of dancing or playing cards or a fellow going to the picture show. There's far more to worldliness than that. That's only a drop in the bucket. Uh, the Bible teaches us in the book of 1 John chapter 2 uh, that we are not to love the world. That is the world system. Surely the Lord not talking about the world of mankind, for he himself loved the world of mankind. But whether, rather, we're not to be in love with the ways of this world. Now, love certainly involves an emotion, but it also involves a commitment. Uh, when a person then is the child of God is in love with the world, he's emotionally involved in the things of the world. Now that's evident when the preacher gets on his toes, he gets all upset about it. If you're emotionally involved in something, you can sure get your feelings hurt in a hurry. But not only that, but the Lord is saying when he's saying, don't you love the world, don't be committed to the ways of this world. Uh, do not commit yourself to the very attitudes of this age, uh, but be apart from them. For if you have an involvement emotionally in the world and a commitment to the world, then John in essence said, you do not have an involvement and you do not have a commitment to God, your Father. And as a result, he said, the love of the Father is not in you. So there is a command in the scripture that we're to be separate from this very world system. Let me in passing just give you a definition that I think will help you, especially when you're questioning whether or not something you're involved in or committed to is of the world. Worldliness could be well defined, and this definition's helped me so much. Worldliness is any, any place, any person any possession or any pleasure that keeps you from doing the will of God and loving God first. Now think that through for a moment. Uh, the world system uh, is, uh, finds one so often committed to a place. How many times I've met even born-again Christians who have abandoned the will of God because they loved a certain place. I've got my anchor down here. I don't think you ought to have your anchor down anywhere. I think you ought to have it as long as you're where God tells you to be. But don't have it sunk so low that if God told you to get up and go to India, then you'd be ready to go to India. But many a person is so in love with a place in life. Uh, he, is, he is in familiar surroundings. All of my people are here. All the folks I know, uh, this is where I've dr driven mistakes down. And yet, if we become so involved and committed to a place that we are not loving God first, and we're putting that place first, and then abandoning the will of God, that indeed smacks of what we call worldliness. Not only that, but sometimes we can get so involved and committed to a person uh, that that too becomes worldly. In other words, uh, we are, I've known people in my life who because of some, well, some young man, he falls in love with a young Dolly Gray somewhere. 
And he's so in love with her, yet though he knows what God wants him to do, and she knows what God wants her to do, they are willing to forsake the will of God and the calling of God in their life just for a commitment and an involvement one with the other. Now that too smacks of worldliness, you see. Are y'all getting what I'm saying? Nod your head like that, will you? One fellow way back yonder nodded five minutes ago and hadn't even come up yet. All right, I want you to nod both ways, will you? I'm going to help you if I can. All right? So not only that, but worldliness not involves a place and a person, but it can involve a pleasure. Now, whether it's legitimate or illegitimate, uh, whether it is legal or, or illegal, uh, whether it is something that is innocent or, or not innocent, uh, it can become a worldly thing to us if it keeps us from loving God first and doing the will of God. There are some pleasures, indeed, that are forbidden to us very clearly and plainly in the Word of God. But yet there are some things uh, that the child of God may enjoy and gain pleasure from in this life that though they are not wrong within themselves, they can become wrong if that, that, that pleasure keeps you from doing God's will and loving God first. I like to hunt. Uh, I like to deer hunt. I like squirrel hunt. Uh, I like to hunt biscuits. I like to hunt jam, and I like to coon hunt. I really do. I enjoy that, and every time I get a chance, I go. I have a dear friend out in Jackson, Mississippi. He used to be one of the finest coon hunters I ever was with in my life. He happened to be on the police force in the city at the time, had some of the finest dogs. You talk about music, boy. Ah, listen, they could really let her go. By the way, this corral, that's some of the most beautiful music I've heard in a long time. I whispered to the pastor and said, you know, I've heard a lot of college and university groups sing, but I don't think they can hold a candle to this gang around here. And uh, don't let that go to your head, but I mean, I mean that. Uh, it's just beautiful. I think I'd like for you all to go around to me sometime, huh? Anyway, uh, the preacher wouldn't permit that, but anyway... Uh, <laughs> I really got off track. I was thinking of something else. But anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, coon dogs, that's it. And uh, I, this dear friend of mine, uh, when I was out in that area, would go coon hunting. One night, I began to preach something along this line. And during the invitation, here came my brother, uh, Carl Floyd, down the aisle. And he just fell in the altar, just draped over the railing of the altar like an old dish rag. And boy, I mean, he is sobbing and crying. And uh, I, I, my heart went out to him. And I just stepped out behind the pulpit and walked over and knelt down beside him, put my arm around him. And I said, Carl, what's trouble? Oh, he said, I'm going to have to give it up. I'm going to have to give it up. And I said, what on earth? I didn't know what in the world. I thought maybe he's talking about moonshining or something like that. And I said, what do you mean? Oh, he said, I'm going to have to give up coon hunting. I'm going to have to give up coon hunting, man. I looked up and I said, Lord, are you sure you're in this? And uh, I said, what in the world do you mean? Oh, he said, listen. I said, you mean coon hunting's wrong? You believe it's sinful? Well, he said, I don't mean that it's wrong for everybody. But he said, I'll tell you what, it's sure become a wrong thing for me. 
And I said, what do you mean by that? Well, he said, let's tell you the truth. Every chance I've gotten, every spare minute. Why, he said, I'm out in the woods of Coonudna. On visitation night at the church, I'm out Coonudna. And many a Wednesday night, I could be in church, but I'm out running after them old coon dogs. And, and he said, I'll tell you, the Lord just smitten my heart about it. And I put that first in my life. And I can't let it stay there. He said, I'm selling out. And listen to me, he did exactly that and today that dear man called of God to preach pastors the largest fundamental independent Baptist church in the city of Jackson Mississippi doing a tremendous work for God in that town now he's coonutting a little now but I'm going to tell you, he came to the point where he said, look, I'm just through with it. If this is going to keep me from doing God's will and from loving God first in my life, I'm going to just put it out. It could be golf clubs, could be fishing poles, could be 101 other things. But don't let anything of this life keep you from doing what God has commanded you to do and loving him with all your heart. Not only that, it can become some possession. Oh, how the... How the possessions of this world so strangle so many of us and yet when it comes to the point that whatever we have uh, our possessions keeps us from doing the will of God and loving God first in our life it smacks of what we're talking about worldliness and so the Bible commands us to be separate from uh, this world and then indeed in that third realm we're commanded to be separate from religious apostasy that is, from those who have departed from the faith. We are warned in the letter of Paul to Timothy that in the last days uh, some shall depart from the faith. Many, in fact, will depart. And all what we see around us today tells us exactly Paul revealed the truth. A departure from the faith once delivered to the saints, to the church, the very truth of God, how many have deserted it. And those who haven't deserted it have tried to, well, they've tried, tried to change the truth of God into something they believe is right and something of their own word. I read the other day, just a week or so ago, another new Bible's come out. Pat Boone, of course, and his wife have endorsed it. And I wasn't surprised when I read in the Corinthians that he had changed uh, uh, the wording in the Corinthians from that that the King James calls tongues or languages to heavenly speech. I thought to myself, boy, that sure accommodates what he believed. Isn't it strange how a man will try to get the Word of God to condone what he does? Instead of our surrendering and submitting to the Word of God, the plumb line... We'll try to get the plumb line to bend to fit our old crooked and out of shape wall of life. What a strange thing for a man to do. A man who does that's in for a fall. I'm going to tell you that. Now you build in a brick wall and that brick wall starts getting off, uh, off center and starts leaning. Uh, you can either correct the wall or you can change the plumb line. But if you, if you change uh, the plumb line to fit the leaning wall, sooner or later the wall's going to lean more and you're going to have to change the plumb line a little more until finally the wall collapses. And that's what's happened in so many religious and church circles in our day. We've tried to change what thus saith the Word of God. Instead of conforming to the will of God, we've tried to get God to conform to our will. 
And yet the Bible teaches us in no uncertain terms then in this area that we are to be apart and separate from those who have denied the faith. The scripture gives four or five specific attitudes and actions that we should take in relation to those who have departed from the truths of the word of God. We are taught that we are to reprove them. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Not only that, but we're taught to refuse those who come with a heresy or a doctrine that is not according to the truth of God's word. We are to not permit them into our fellowship as a result of their apostasy or their departure from the faith. Not only that, but we're taught to retreat. I don't mean that we turn like one who is defeated in battle, but rather, for the lack of a better word, Paul tells us that we are to avoid them. Romans chapter 16 and verse 17 very clearly reminds us that if there have been those who caused divisions that are contrary to the doctrine, then we are to avoid them. We've got an idea now. We can just associate with them and we'll change them. You know, they won't change us. Have you ever seen a man get in a cave with a skunk and the skunk come out smelling like a man? Uh, that doesn't happen. You, you, you don't change uh, one bad, rotten apple by putting it in a bushel of good apples. You'll change the good apples, but you won't change the bad apple. And yet that's what God is ordering when there are those that you know and groups and movements and so forth and even so-called churches that have departed from the truth of the Word of God. The Lord said you avoid them. You separate yourself from them. And then Paul, again in other instances, uh, said the same thing uh, to that great preacher Timothy as he wrote, and I'll just run, I'll run them the other way. You know, yeah, that doesn't work either. That's the reason the Word of God said, you do the withdrawing. Don't wait for the skunk to leave. If a skunk came in my bedroom, bud, I'll tell you now, I wouldn't wait for him to leave. I think I'd either, I'd have to run him out, separate myself from him, or I'd leave. And that's what those who deny the faith will do. They'll soil and spoil and stain the life of the child of God who walks in truth and defile his testimony. Well, this thing I said of separation is not a kind of subject that men applaud you for, but it's so essential in your life and mine as a child of God if we are to have the blessing and the power of God upon our very lives. Now, first let me just ask you to remember the importance of this matter of separation. What's so important about it? Well, let me take you back to the book of Genesis for just a moment. And in the 19th chapter, in the 22nd verse, the Lord had come down to Lot. Lot, a righteous man, vexed in his soul with the filthy manner of life of the Sodomites, yet he dwelt in Sodom. Now watch what the Lord said when he in relation to Lot. And he said in Genesis 19 and 22, he said to this man, I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Now what I'm trying to get you to see is this, Lot, by his refusal to separate himself from the Sodomites, was standing in way of what God had determined to do. Now in this case, God's determined will was judgment upon the Sodomites. Long and patiently it waited and given them ample opportunity to repent and turn to him. 
but yet they repented not and thus God had the only other alternative and that was to bring judgment down. Now watch this. Don't miss it. So the Lord said to Lot, Lot, I cannot do anything till thou become thither. I wonder is the very reason God's purposes and blessings are so often withheld from us in this day and age because we haven't come thither. We haven't removed ourselves from those things that God condemns in our life in the world system or even in the religious world about us. We have somehow tried to intermesh and intermarry with all that is around us. And God's saying, listen, I can't do what I want to do as long as you're tangled up with that outfit. So he's saying, my purpose in it is that you, to get you out for my purposes are indeed hindered. I think of Abraham. The Lord came to that mighty man and said to him, I'll get you out of this country. You get out of this land of Ur of the Chaldees. Now what if Abraham had been as stubborn as most of us and said, well, I'm just not ready to do that. You see, I got my anchor down over here in Ur. And uh, all my life I've lived over here. My mom and Paul live here. Well, I couldn't afford to get out of this place. Besides, it's such a pleasant land. Can you see if Abraham had failed to do what God commanded him? Do you see what, had been, what would have been hindered as far as the very program of God through Abraham and the Jewish people even until this very day and yet in the future? What I'm trying to tell you is God is saying to us, it is important that you obey me even in this area of separation for you're hindering my purposes when you fail to separate yourself. Not only that, but separation is important for only when the child of God is separate from the personal sins of his life, from the world system and from those who deny the faith can his true identity be known and recognized? That's like this. Here's a fellow who marries a, a, a young woman. And uh, uh, you consider them uh, as one. Uh, she is uh, his wife. He is her husband. But what if that fellow just keeps on courting his old girlfriend? I wonder what you think about that. You say, look, I don't know whether he's married or not. What if she kept courting her old boyfriend? Why, you'd say, man, alive, something wrong here. That would be a difficult thing to make an identity of that man and woman as a truly married couple. So what I'm saying is this. In many of the life of a child of God, we're courting the old sweetheart. Uh, in other words, we haven't separated ourselves as God has commanded us and our identity as far as the world is concerned. They cannot see Christ in us by reason of the life we live and the things we do. In chemistry, the same thing is true. If you want to identify a certain element in chemistry, uh, there's got to be a separation. You mix them up, and it's hard to identify. There's got to be a separation of that. And so separation is what I'm trying to say. God is declaring it's important, for only then can the true identity of the child of God be seen by the world around him. Now, the Word of God gives several illustrations throughout its pages in relation to separation. I think of the illustration that's given in Hebrews 12 and verse number 1 as to the athlete, the runner. 
the Bible said uh, uh, we're in a race. Uh, he said uh, we ought to lay aside then as a result of being in that race and be encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses and spectators. We ought to lay aside every weight and the sin that, that doth so easily beset us. In other words, Paul is saying, you lay aside everything that is superfluous. You know what a runner endeavors to do? In training, what he attempts to do is change fat into muscle. Now, you couldn't imagine a fellow running a, a cross-country run. And, uh, well, and here he is, he's got some excess baggage, uh, got an inner tube around the middle, about as big as a tractor, and uh, he's uh, uh, got several other pounds in other places of his anatomy that he doesn't really need. But rather, if he keeps them, they're going to slow him down and cause him to lose out in the race. Now, the apostle is saying simply the same thing to us. Get rid of the things that are unnecessary in your life that are bogging you down and slowing you down and keeping you from winning the race. Rather, he said, through the discipline of separation, just cutting them out. And I think of old Joe Lewis, that brown bomber. What a boxer. And yet Joe Lewis said when somebody asked him, do you like molasses? And he said, like them, man, I love them. Well, they said, would you care for some? And he said, no, thank you. Well, he said, I thought you liked them. Oh, he said, I do. Well, why don't you want some? Why won't you take some? And he said, they would hinder my career. And so it is there are things that may be delightful within themselves, but become, <coughs> pardon me, become a hindrance in our life. And that's the Lord saying, get rid of them. Separate yourself. Get rid of them. Don't let them stand in the way of the will of God in your life. No, that repairs the illustration of a soldier. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, no man that wore it entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. He doesn't get all bogged down in the world system and the pursuit of his personal sin and pleasure to the point that he can't fight the battle. And so God calls for separation. You never heard of a soldier going out and digging a foxhole and putting all the luxuries of life in it. Uh, he's out there for one business, and that's fighting the battle and winning the battle. And so it is for the child of God. The soldier, we have been called, and oh, what a calling that is. That's life's greatest honor, to be appointed a soldier by him. Life's greatest aim for the soldier is that, again, Paul said, that we may please him. All to be pleasing to God. And I can think of no greater reason for our being separate from the things in our personal life and in this world that the other, I can think of no greater reason other than just because God commanded and God asked it and because we want to please him, that's the reason we lay it aside. And not only that, but there's the illustration that Paul used here in our text. And he said, you're the temple of God. You're God's building. You're God's temple. Hey, a church is distinct from any other building in the community. Uh, normally speaking, I was in Chicago, however, and went down on South State Street, and I think every building down South State Street was a church. And I came to understand through inquiry that the reason was some businessmen had rent out those uh, vacant buildings, uh, say three or four people who wanted to have a church, and they'd just name it a church, tax-free, and all the rest. 
Well, that's kind of crooked. But anyway, uh, I'm talking about the normal idea of a church. You drive down this road, you look up here, and you say, man, there's a church. You wouldn't even have to have a sign out there. It's distinct. It's distinct in its architect, its design. And so should be the child of God. Our lives ought to be so distinct and so different from the world that the world can look at us and say, hey, I'll tell you there's something different in that fellow's life. There's something there that's so different. I heard the testimony of a young man not long ago who was with the, with the street gangs in New York City. He had a twin brother. And that twin brother and he were one of the founders of what's known today as the Guardian Angels. They're kind of a, a good bunch of, well, I started to say a, a, a good gang. At least they're, they're trying to protect some folks and help them. I don't know whether I could commend them or not, but I'm just passing that along. But anyway, this fellow said, you know, he said, I was trying to do good to get into heaven. And he said, one day my twin brother came in and somebody had introduced him to Jesus Christ and he'd gotten saved. And he said, man, alive, all of a sudden he's so different. He said, at first I thought he'd gone crazy. And he said, I even said to my mother, mom, something's happened to my brother. Something's happened to brother. He's, he's gone crazy. Why, he's given up all of his old girlfriends and go around those places he used to. And uh, hey, something's happened to him. But he said, hey, I realized he wasn't the one that's crazy. He said, I realized I was. And he said, when I begin to observe his life and see such a difference in his life, I realized he had something that I longed so much to have. And he said, I began to inquire. And my brother wonderfully led me to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I'm saying. Paul is saying the same thing. You're God's temple. And you ought to be distinct and different. You ought to be different down on the job. I don't mean by different, odd necessarily. A lot of Christians think they ought to be, you know, just plain odd. And, uh, you know, act like their elevator doesn't go all the way to the top. Or uh, maybe they got a brick or two short of a load. Or you got to act like you rode into town on a wagon load of pumpkins or something. And yet uh, to be different doesn't mean to be odd. Yet it does mean that there is a distinction in your life. God put a distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians. To the point the Lord said, the dog don't even bark at you when you leave. Hey, what a distinction there ought to be in your life and mine. Are you any different than the crowd down there that doesn't even know Christ? Are you any different than the godless world around you? Paul said, let's separate ourselves, come out from among them and be you separate. Now, when we're talking about coming out and being separate, I'm not talking about isolationism. I'm not talking about asceticism. I'm talking about just what Jesus did when he prayed for us in the 17th chapter of Luke. And he said, Lord, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. But he said, though they're in this world, keep them from this world. In other words, God make them different. Let somebody be able to see the difference in their life. Down at the office, the way he runs his business, the way he treats his neighbors, the attitude toward his family, the attitude toward his friends, the attitude toward his church. Let him be so different that the world can get a glimpse of Christ. And then let me just mention, and I'm closing with this. Not only do you see in the Bible the importance of separation, the illustrations of it, but finally, the intention of it. Why does God tell you to come out? 
Well, some people have the idea, evidently, that the Lord's trying to take away from them some legitimate pleasure that they ought to have, something that they ought to be involved in. Listen, God never told one of his children, not, uh, never said, do not or don't any time that that thing would do him good and benefit him. The only thing the Lord said thou shalt not do are the things that are destructive in your life and that rob you of real peace and a real purpose and real joy in your life. The things that God's saying the negative thing to are those things that are literally robbing you. And listen, I'm talking to some Christian here this morning. And you're as miserable in your life as a Christian as you can be. Oh, you're saved. But your problem is you're trying to get along with two different worlds. I know you've heard on the news about that guy. How many women did he marry? My Lord. So how many was it? I've forgotten. How many? Huh? Y'all know? Y'all dumb as I am. Uh, some guy they had out here in Utah. I don't know. Some fella. What, 40 wives or something? 100? Anyway, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine trying to get along with that many women? Huh? Man, it's hard to get along with one, uh, much less try, trying to get along with a hundred. And yet again, the Lord said, listen, that's a miserable state of effect. You're trying to get along with the world, trying to get along with God. You try to be a Christian on Sunday and try to be like the world on Monday. Well, listen, you, you're missing out on life. The purpose and the intention of separation, God spelled it out for us way back in the Old Testament. When he said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 23, and he said this, And he brought us out from thence, out of Egypt, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. Why did he bring them out? So he could bring them in. In other words, the Lord wants to bring you out of your miserable life into a life of victory and peace and blessedness and power and the favor of God in your life. He wants you to bring you out of that other side to the place of blessing. So the intention of it is the very blessing and the benefit of God in our very life. And yet, I think James put it a little more strongly. And he said in the fourth chapter of James, the fourth verse, Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. In other words, he said, I want you to be my friend. And you can't be my friend while you're supporting the enemy. And yet that's what we try to do. Come out from among them, the scripture says. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. What? And will be a father unto you. Now notice Paul's writing to Christians in Corinth. Is he saying that separation is essential for you to become a child of God? No. But he's saying until you are separate and cut off from these things, you will not know the joy and the blessedness of a father-child relationship. Why? Because in our failure to come out and to separate ourselves, 
we become disobedient to God's command. Now, there's not too harmonious a fellowship between a father and a son if the son is continuously rebelling against his father. And that's what happens when the Christian rebels against this command to be separate. God cannot bless us. He cannot give us that companionship. He cannot give us that fellowship. He cannot give to us his joy and blessing by reason of our disobedience. <coughs> Let me tell you this and we'll pray. Dear man up home came to me the other day, very well-to-do businessman in our community, a man who is known in our area at least being a very wealthy man. You, you wouldn't know it by looking at him. In the summertime, he goes barefooted, wears a wore-out hat and overalls. Uh, he just, he enjoys that. But he's a very wealthy man. He came to me and said, I want to talk to you, preacher. And I said, what about it? He said, I want to talk to you about my daughter. And I said, okay, what about it? When he said, one of my daughters, he said, is a very, very elegant lady. Fine Christian, he said. And she's shown me in every way that she's got responsibility, that she knows where she's going, what she's doing. But he said, you know what? My other daughter's a reckless worldly. And he said, every dollar, every dime she gets, it's spent out in a honky-tonk or a roadhouse. And he said, preacher, the thing that's bothered me is he said, I'm not getting any younger. And he said, I've already made out my will to my two daughters. But he said, you know, I've had second thoughts about leaving my wealth to my one daughter. He said, you see, she's violated everything I've tried to teach her in life. And she's just spurned everything that, she, uh, that my, her mother and I have tried to impress on her as decent and responsible in life. And he said, preach, I just can't see the sense in my leaving that kind of wealth. To a daughter who will just flush it down the toilet. And that's the words he used me. And show no responsibility. And throw away everything that I've ever wanted to give her. I just can't see. And he said, preacher, I've made up my mind. I'm not going to include her in my will. Now I wonder sometimes does God have to withhold his blessing from us. Because we are so disobedient and irresponsible as children of God. The Lord said, separate yourself. Get out from among them. Come to, come to me. Walk with me. Let your identity be known in this world. For of all things the world needs, it needs to see Jesus in you. Let's pray together. Our heads are bowed and we're going to pray. This morning, I've talked primarily to you who are children of God. But I believe with all of my heart, if we'd follow this very order, I believe our lives could indeed be far more influential with those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what God may have dealt with you about in your heart this morning, but you know it may be some personal thing, maybe something in the world that's robbed you of your love for God that is your first love. You have somehow forsaken the will and the calling of God because you've gotten so committed and involved with something or somebody or some place or some pleasure. 
And down deep in your heart, God's tugging at your heart saying, My child, come out so I can bring you in. Let me bring you out of that old Egypt land. Let me put you in the land of promise and victory. Let me give you my blessing. I wonder how many right now in this moment of just quietly before God will just tell the Lord what's on your heart and ask Him to cleanse you. Ask Him to forgive you for having placed something between you and Him. I wonder this morning if there are those in this building as well who have never trusted Christ. You do not know, you do not know that if you were to die this moment, heaven is yours. You have never received Christ into your heart. And you realize today the great need in your life is Christ. But somehow, for some reason, day after day, you've been putting it aside. You've been saying no to Him. And you realize your need for the Savior. If so, I'm going to ask you to just give your heart and life to Him right now. Receive Him as your Savior. We're going to stand in just a second, and when we do, I'm going to ask you, if you'll receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask you just walk out of your seat, down the aisle. Someone will be here to have a word of private prayer with you, and somebody to show you from the Word of God how you can know Christ as your Savior. I want you right now to do what you know you ought to do. And dear Christian, if there's something God's talked to you about that you need to settle with Him right now, I urge you to do it. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed, and we're going to sing after we prayed our hymn number, number 391. Number 391. We're going to sing the first and last stanzas, All to Jesus I Surrender. And I'm going to ask you to do what you know you ought to do. Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray right now that every one of us shall search our hearts if there be those things that have come between us and you, those things that keep us from doing the will of God and loving you first, Lord, help us be separate from them. Let nothing be so precious to us in this life that's more precious than thou art to us. Now, Father, just work out your will in our lives. For those who are lost, who need to be saved, may they right now just step out of their seat and down this aisle and come receiving Christ into their heart. For some who need to come into the fellowship of the church, they may need to come tell the pastor they want to move their membership from some other church. Lord, help them to do whatever you're talking to them about right now, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're singing the first stanza, I Surrender.